Welcome to the weekly message from Upper Room Community Church in Vaughan. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and provide practical ways to strengthen your relationships. For more information, visit us at upperroom.ca. And today I will be reading two passages of scripture for you. The first one is from 1 Peter 2, verse 4 and 5. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God, and precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. The second passage I'm going to read is from Ephesians 2, verse 19 to 22. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling which God lives by in his spirit. This is God's word. We were uh, we were at the library the other day with uh, with our kids. It's kind of a I, I never actually thought I would like the library. It's way co- just like everything for kids. Way cooler than when I was a kid. Um, there's just neat stuff to do there. Way more than books. Nothing wrong with books, but there's neat stuff there. So um, one of the things I saw <clears throat> was this 3D printer, and uh, I've even seen it before. It's like a it actually melts plastic and sort of prints objects in 3D. So you can design it, and the plastic sort of hardens as you form this object. So I was watching this thing and just some of the stuff that was being made out of it fascinated. And then I hear, while I'm looking at the printer, I hear this click, 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 click. I'm like, I know that sound. And I look beside it, and there's a typewriter. And there's some sign over, there's something about old or the way things used to be. And there's this five-year-old girl kind of click, click, click on a, fu- on a typewriter. And she's so fascinated with this thing. And, uh, and her mom's telling her, yeah, like that's how we used to type stuff, you know? So some of you, I won't ask you to declare. I know some of you have used one before, but I won't ask you to put your hand out. But I was thinking, you know, we're talking about the church this weekend. It's kind of how people, it's kind of how many of the people in my life that I used to work with, that I live near, Um, some of whom are my family and different parts of my life, it's kind of how they view the church, like a typewriter. It's old. Some people are, we used to do things that way. It used to be a part of how society functioned, but it isn't that way anymore. Like, we don't need it. We have 3D printers now. We have other things and means of getting stuff done. Do you ever feel like that? That in a sense, like, it's sort of answering a question that nobody's asking. Like if you ever say you're going to church or like when people ask me what I do for a living, this kind of shadow comes up behind me and they may like me and think I'm normal, sort of. Um, I haven't really heard too much otherwise, but like, but really this shadow, this gargoyle kind of thing behind me that is the church, that sort of people go, oh, not for me. You know, and it might historically, maybe they appreciate its role in history or say, you know, it was a part or some people say, oh yeah, religion's a crutch. It's like some people needed it back then, but we've sort of outgrown it. We don't need that now. We have iPhones. We don't need typewriters anymore. We have screens that you can touch. The church has sort of lost its place and its relevance. So it's interesting today because we're, we're talking about what is the church. And even as we say that, some people are like, duh, like we're all here. <laughs> like we sort of know what that is. But I would say that... Um, I think it's actually an important question simply because of the fact that most of the people that you know and that I know, if we said, hey, um, you know, you should come to church, whatever, they'd sort of be like, eh, and it's not really for me. It's not, it's not, 
kind of not my thing. You may need it, or I don't even know why you need it. I might say that under your breath. Uh, but it's this function of something that happened in the past. It's sort of an old thing, part of old traditions. We don't need that anymore. And so as people who, for whom in some shape or form the church is valuable or meaningful for you, we actually have to wrestle with it. Well, what is it? Because it seems like most of the world doesn't want anything to do with it, or at least a good part of the people in North America. I mean, there's way more Christians in other parts of the world, and the church is exploding in many parts of the world, but not here. And so we kind of have to wrestle with it. Well, if we don't know what it is or how to articulate it, even if somebody came to you and said, well, what is the church? How would you even put that into words? Other than maybe like, what's a place that I go? Oh, you go to church? No, I go to a movie theater and do church. There. So you, how would you even explain it? And then I think it's actually important for us to know because if it is something that is dear to us or something that is meaningful to us or something that we feel like, yeah, this is actually an integral part of my life, if I don't really know what it is, how do I know who to be as a part of the church? If I am a part of it, I really actually need to answer that question. What I would suggest to you is that actually, in truth, the thousands of people that surround you in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in our country are actually dying for church. They're longing for it. Like they're looking for church everywhere they look. And you say, really, where are they? Because <laughs> we have empty seats. And this is really, there's only a couple theaters in this building where, and I don't think most people are actually this morning going, where can I get it? How can I get there? And the reason I say that is this. I think what human beings are looking for and longing for and really actually from the beginning of time, but maybe even more so in our day, in our time, is they're looking for two things. One is a spiritual experience, and the other one is a communal experience. They're looking for spirituality, and they're looking for community. In 2015, Angus Reid is a research company, did, uh, I think it's an annual study that they do with 3,000 respondents of faith in Canada, sort of the state of faith, religion, everything, beliefs in Canada. And here's what they found. 50% of people, 50% of Canadians, believe that some people have psychic powers. So half, one in every two believes, yeah, people have psychic powers. 70% um, believe in the possibility of miraculous healing. One in three believe in astrology, the horoscopes, the signs, you know, if you're a Capricorn or you're a Sagittarius or whatever, like that means something, that there's something significant to that, astrological signs. Um, and then 64% or nearly two-thirds would classify themselves as either spiritual but not religious or spiritual and religious. So basically, two out of every three people consider themselves to be spiritual. These are Canadians. I think these are different results than if we had taken the survey 20, 30, 40, or 50 years ago. Spirituality, if we said word association, we said church, people would say negative. Word association, spirituality, people would say positive seems to see that there's an openness, there's a hunger actually for spirituality. And I would say this actually, even more so you might say, okay, but are they desperate for it? Are they longing for it? Well, let me ask you, what is the one thing that our society seems to be so desperate um, that it will pay tons of money for, that it will order their lives around to make decisions for? It's sex, right? I told you before, the porn industry makes more money than Major League Baseball, the NFL, and the NBA combined. Combined. More money than Google, Microsoft, Apple combined. The sex industry is what people are paying thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to experience. Why? Because sexuality is the new spirituality. 
See, when you take God, and, and it, was, it was the German philosopher Nietzsche who way back when, sort of, whose philosophy sort of informed Darwin and the whole sort of scientific experiment is sort of saying, we don't need God anymore. He said, God is dead. That was, the, that was Nietzsche's pronouncement. In other words, and he says, we have killed him. In other words, with the idea of it, we have butchered it. It just doesn't belong anymore in our society. And so when God is dead and we remove, in a sense, this idea of ultimate transcendence, It's not that people don't long for a spiritual experience anymore. It's just they need something new. If it's not God, what is it? And if I could be so bold as to say it this way, the orgasm is the new experience of heaven on earth. 30 seconds of spiritual transcendence, which is why our whole world has wrapped their minds around this is ultimate reality. This is the, quote, out-of-body experience or the otherworldly experience, even if just for a moment, and everyone can experience it somehow, some way. Which is why, how old you have to be to do it, which is why the industry that we pay so much money for, why the whole uh, conversation about sexual orientation is so important to people. Why? Because if I cannot express my sexuality, I have no ability to feel alive as a person. Am I wrong? This is the new search and hunger for spirituality because we haven't lost our capacity or desire for spiritual experiences as human beings. It's just that we think, well, God isn't the place for it anymore, so we need to find it somewhere else. I believe we live in a culture that is so desperately longing for spiritual experience. And so rather than say, well, what's wrong with all these evil people? They're so addicted to all this stuff. It's like they're looking for something that every human heart longs for, the experience of transcendence, a spiritual encounter. But they're also looking for community. As Mark Zuckerberg, the founder of Facebook, said this, Facebook was not originally created to be a company. It was built to accomplish a social mission, to make the world more open and connected. Now, regardless of whether you think Facebook has or hasn't done that, the explosion of social media certainly is tapping into this desire, in a sense, to be connected. And I would say more so than in generations past. You see, in generations past, we used to value the self-made person, the individual, the Marlboro man was somehow a picture of sort of manhood, this lone person kind of conquering the world by themselves on a horse or whatever, whatever that is about, um, right? This idea of individuality and, and Frank Sinatra, I did it my way. Now, actually, we don't value that. We value things produced in community. We, we'd much rather have something that was crowdfunded than a billionaire who could write a check by themselves. Right? Because we believe in the power of community. We want workplaces and people who run workplaces to work to leverage and harness and harvest the ideas that are represented in the community, not just have one or two people have all of the ideas. We value, in a sense, the connectedness of people. One of the reasons I think the GTA, where we live, is the most um, desirable place to immigrate to on earth is because you can find yourself or your identity or sense of community as a new Canadian, but also you could find it within a people group that is your own, right? You can, like the best food in the world is in our city, right? Um, you can find a place, a cultural enclave where the people will speak your mother tongue, where you can um, sort of have shops and food and clothing that sort of suits that. You can go to a church that, has, that worships in that language, and yet you can still be sort of a part of this, as you know, our, our, our current uh, prime minister's father called the, the, um, the mosaic. You can be a part and find your place. And I think that's what, because people are longing for community. And if we have many more people immigrating into our country, maybe than ever before, or the the refugee crisis, one of the reasons it it is a crisis is because people are being driven out of their communities, their places. And so as they come to Canada, they don't just need like money and a job. They need 
that sense of connectedness and community because, like we said, from the very beginning of time, we have been created first and foremost as relational beings. And so we live in a world that is hungry for spiritual encounter and a community experience. The sense of transcendence, of being connected to something bigger and more spiritual and more dynamic, and yet being in a, in a community of people. I would say it this way, we're, we're all looking for church. We're all looking for the place where heaven touches earth. It's interesting, right? When God created his people at the beginning of time, one of the ways that the writer of Genesis describes creation in its sort of perfect order was God walking with the people he made in the cool of the day. This idea of God in relationship with the people he made. So this idea of spirituality in community. From the beginning, in fact, we see God just didn't create us to be a part of this creation and find our place and function in it, but actually to be in relationship with us. This idea of spirituality in community. And then when God you know, they kind of screw it up because that's what we do as humans. We sort of mess that up. And so God's saying, okay, I'm not going to let you mess that up because I want this for you. And so he says, okay, I'm going to be your people and you'll, you'll, I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. You're going to belong to me. And when he brings the people of Israel together, which were sort of the starting point from which the whole world would, was meant to have um, spirituality and community with God. He says, okay, you guys live in tents, so I'll live in a tent. Build this tent for me and I'll live with you in it. And so they, they would camp. They were nomadic people for a period of time in the desert, and so they'd all have their tents, and they built this huge tent for God in the middle. And the tent was called the tabernacle. The word tabernacle was actually as much a verb as it was a noun. The verb to tabernacle with someone means to sort of dwell, to be in community with them. So this is so significant. We, we sort of read some of that Old Testament stuff and go, what was the deal? Why was he giving them all these dimensions for how to build a tent? Like these, these days, it's way e I could have never built that tent. The Coleman stuff they have now, way easier. The plastic snaps. Those, it was like lots of dimensions, lots of detail. What's the deal? It's just a tent. Well, no, because it was so important that God would be able to live and dwell with his people. What was significant about that whole thing was God saying spirituality and community. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give that to you. And so it was in the center of their, all their other tents, and then God would live in this tent. And, and, and you know, God's leaders would come in and pray, and then this cloud would come into the tent and would overwhelm. It's like this thick, billowing cloud, and people would all stand at their tents and look at this thing happening in the middle. What? Why, why were they so, I mean, they were so blown away by it. Why? Because it was, it was the transcendent God. It was spirituality in community. It was like a, a spiritual encounter in community. And so God builds this tent and says, I'm going to dwell with you. I'm going to live with you. This is, this is so important. This is what I want to be. And it, and it told them that God loved them. It told them that God wanted to be with them. It told them that they weren't alone anymore. It told them that they weren't left by themselves to figure out where they were in life, but that God was going to be with them, present, that they could see spirituality in community, heaven touching earth. But what's interesting is over time, they sort of lose sight of this, and one day, you know, one of the kings, King David, says, you know what, it isn't good that God lives in a tent. Let's build him a temple, because we all have houses now. They had become sort of the city, and so they're in Jerusalem, the capital city, and they build this temple right in the middle of the city, right in the middle of the capital city. In a sense, it was like this, trying to represent this idea, okay, God lives with us. And for a time, God would continue to come and sort of dwell in that temple, but over time, what happened is... Uh, and even the whole sacrificial system, you know, sometimes you think, why did they sacrifice animals? It's so weird. Well, one aspect of it was it was a family meal. Like they would sort of 
kill the meat. We still do it too. We just don't see the blood part, okay? Let's just be honest. I know some of you vegetarians, you don't. But the rest of us um, who do, uh, right? It's, it's part of it. It's a meal. It's a communal experience. So that was part of the whole worship life was like you're going to actually have relationship in the presence of God. But over time, the temple just became an object of religious sort of, and political and social and ethnic significance. It wasn't actually the place where heaven touched earth anymore. And in fact, you read less and less about God coming to earth and the people just kind of going out of religion, out of ritual, out of routine. It was the place they went to do the things that they had to do as part of their regular life. And as first the Babylonian army, then the Syrian army, then under Alexander the Great and the Greek army, and then finally the Roman army sort of occupied Palestine, sort of as we know it now. They were allowed to keep their temple, and their temple was this thing that signified their, their ethnic identity and their political sort of need for political freedom and significance and their sort of religious identity. It wasn't the place anymore that heaven touched earth. It was just simply a symbol of sort of religion and politics and the ethnic tensions that existed in the ancient world. Just so amazing, right, that when Jesus comes, what does he say? He says, I'm, I'm the temple. I am the place where heaven touches earth. See, Jesus comes as God's presence on earth, and what's so interesting, he spends very little of his time in the actual temple, and instead, he's in city streets. He's in fishing boats, and he's at people's dinner tables. In a sense, heaven touched earth in a way that it never had before. It bled out into every corner of the world. See, they used to have this idea that, oh, there was something about the sacred space, this building, the temple, and that's where God would meet with us. But the reality is God wasn't meeting with them anymore. And the temple had become this place of kind of like certain people could go, like if you were holy or if you were a priest or if you had the right ethnicity, because if you weren't a Jew, you could only be in certain parts of the temple. And they had started to buy and sell stuff in it. And so it had totally lost its significance is being the place where God would meet with his people and they would be together. And so what does Jesus do? He's saying, we're going to take God to the people. Heaven's going to touch every corner of earth. So interesting, right? He goes into the city streets where people lived. He goes into the fishing boats where they worked. That was a workplace for his disciples. He goes into people's homes where they ate where they had their everyday, ordinary existence. Heaven was touching every part of dirty, ordinary earth. Isn't that amazing? That God was living with his people in a totally new way. And so what was supposed to happen in the temple, which wasn't happening anymore, Jesus was doing in the city streets. And so he's healing people in the city streets. He's preaching in their workplaces. The lepers who couldn't go to the temple because they were unclean were getting cleaned and cleansed and touched and healed by Jesus outside the temple. The people who were too sinful to go to the temple were getting forgiven of their sins, not at the temple by the priest, but in their home where they lived. Think about that. Jesus was saying, now heaven is touching earth through me everywhere. He had such, in a sense, a little bit of skepticism and disregard for the temple that the Jewish leaders and authorities were so upset at the way he treated the temple. In fact, one day he goes into the temple with a whip that he made out of rope and he starts cleaning house, literally. Kicking tables over, driving people out, saying, this place is supposed to be a place of prayer, but you have wrecked it. 
with the way you've treated it. And they said, how, can you, how could you say this? Who gives you the authority to talk about the temple like this? And then he says this, destroy this temple in three days and I'll raise it again. And they say to him, that's ridiculous. Do you know how long it took to build this temple? It took seven years to build the temple. You're going to restore it in three days? He wasn't talking about the temple. What did he rebuild in three days? Himself. He was saying, I am the place of spiritual encounter in community. I am the place where heaven touches earth. You want to meet with God? Meet with me. It was a totally new way of them understanding how God had actually come to them. And you know what's interesting? You notice of this spiritual encounter wherever Jesus went? What do you read? When you read in the, in the Gospels, there were always crowds with them, right? He was drawing his community. And this community that was around Jesus was not made up of only one kind of social class. In fact, the rich people were having a hard time getting close, which blew everybody's mind because they thought if you were rich, that meant you were blessed. And Jesus is saying, no, that's not actually how community works. The ones who seemed to have the hardest time getting close to him and struggled with it were the ones who were the holy people, the religious ones who knew everything about the Bible, who knew everything about God, apparently. And Jesus is saying, you're a religious teacher and you don't get this? The ones who were coming close to Jesus were women and children. The rest of society had said, you're sort of further down on this. You're more considered property, not humanity. And Jesus says, no, let them come to me. Women can be by my disciples too. Children can be my disciples too. Jesus was redefining community. What does community look like? It's not about gender. It's not about age. It's not about social class. It's not about ethnicity. Spirituality in community redefined entirely by Jesus. And it's still a radical message today, right? Because so much of religion or life is defined by the walls we put up in community. And you'd think we'd be past it by now given humanity's history with slavery. And yet we still have every day you read in the news about ethnic tensions on the rise in every part of the world. Why? And all of the lines that people draw to separate community. And Jesus says, in me, a new kind of community is gathered. We might think, okay, great. So heaven touched earth in Jesus, but now he's gone. <laughs> Bummer for us, right? No, no. The, the, the apostles knew. Look at, look at what our, and Camille read from us from, what the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul read, and look what they write. They get it. But don't miss this. As you come to him, the living stone, that's Jesus, rejected by humans, he was crucified, but chosen by God and precious to him. Listen, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. In other words, all the place that sacrifice and all that used to happen in the temple. No, now it's different. Now you are part of a spiritual house. Jesus is a living stone. And then, and then um, Paul says it like this. Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers. You're not separated by where you live or how much you make or what you look like. But fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. And then he starts to use building language built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets, what they said about Jesus. And of course, Jesus himself, the chief cornerstone, the cornerstone in the building was the first stone that made sure the rest of the building was going to be square. It had to be cut perfectly. So Jesus is the beginning of a new building, he's saying. 
In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Do you catch that? We, the church, what is the church? The house where heaven touches earth. Spiritual encounter and community. That's what the church is. Next time somebody asks you, well, why do you go to church? Because <laughs> it's where heaven touches earth. It's spirituality and community. It's what every one of us are longing for. And, and the apostles say, listen, Jesus was the first stone of a new house. If Jesus was the place heaven touched earth, the church is the place where heaven continues to touch down. Every time we gather together, we are not just looking for information. This isn't a classroom where you learn some stuff about God. It's not an institution that needs to play its role in society just like every other institution so that society can function properly. It is the place now where heaven touches down. We come for spiritual encounter. I come to meet with God with you. And it would mean nothing if we were just together and God wasn't meeting with us. We'd be the Lions Club. We could do some decent stuff. That's about it. And it would mean nothing if it was just me and God and my private spiritual experience and nobody with which I could shake and say, just like I do when I watch sports, did you see that? That's what worship is. Isn't he amazing? That's why we gather together. We say that to each other because when we worship, any true worship overflows and must be shared. And so we are a community gathered in where heaven touches down. It's not a building. We don't own this place. We didn't build it. We'd paint it differently if we did. <laughs> right? When you gather in people's homes during the week in home groups, when you're together as believers in the places where you live, when you are with your family in your neighborhood or you in your workplace, heaven is touching down. God is wanting to meet with his people. This is why years ago, you know, I heard a pastor say it this way. He said, the local church is the hope of the world. I remember thinking, no, no, Jesus is the hope of the world. But the more I thought about it, I thought, no, but Jesus said, you're my church. You're my body. You are God in a bod now. You are me on the earth. How is the world going to know me if they don't know you? Because this is where I live with you. Right? That's the church. That's why we gather together. That's why the local church is the hope of the world. Because education can only take us so far. And human progress and scientific development can only take us so far. And money can do some stuff, but it can't fix people's hearts. The church is the place. And you know, it's so funny. You go to places all over the world. They don't even have a post office, but they got a church. The church can be all over the world where Jesus can be worshipped in different languages and songs can be sung in different, but, but heaven is touching earth where they are. And that's what the church is. See, private spiritual experiences, whether it's yoga or whatever it is, you know, if you do yoga, great. Breathing is good for you. It's not going to change your heart. Private spirituality doesn't change the person. And if the world is going to change, men and women have to change. We need a kind of spirituality that actually changes the human heart. And this is what the church says. You find this together in Jesus sexuality is the new spirituality will only enslave the people that worship it and so we have a, a world unfortunately that is enslaved by what it has said is ultimate reality we need a kind of spirituality that doesn't enslave us but actually frees us 
And we need a spirituality in community that will change the communities in which we live. That's why the vision of our church is deep faith, wide embrace. It's a spiritual encounter with Jesus and a wide embrace that says this is actually for everyone. It's where heaven touches down, is the church. So what about it? If this is who we are, this is why I want to say living stones don't live alone. Living stones don't live alone. You are the church. Each of you is a critical piece, a stone. If you would say, well, how important was the Apostle Peter to the building of the church or the Apostle Paul? Pretty important. The scriptures say you are as important. You also are living stones. You are an essential part of the spiritual house that God is building. And if, if this is your church home, you're an essential part of this church home. If you have another church home, you're an essential part of that local church. If you ain't essential part of any local church, find one. I know a good one. You are meant to be interconnected. You don't live alone. All the stones, the scriptures say, built together into a dwelling where God lives by his spirit. And so that's why so much of what we do is saying, you got to do this together. And we have a terminology that we use at our church, say group and serve. We believe you got to group together. Sunday morning is important, but, but your weekly home group is an important part of actually feeling that sense of being interconnected together. The places where you meet together for coffee or for meals or whatever it is, you are interconnected together, an essential part of this temple. And serving, you know, we in, encourage people to use their gifts and serve in this church, not because this is a volunteer organization, guys, and if everyone doesn't do their part, it's not going to work. We actually believe that as you serve, you will encounter the living God. That, that part of your relationship with God is made fuller, is enhanced, is enriched as you serve together as the church, as we do the things that God has made us to do together. And so if you are not part of a group or you haven't found a place where you can serve or whatever, I would say pursue that. We have a little welcome cards you can sign up even if you say oh, i've been here for two years i'm just not, not still connected fill it out and say yeah i'd love to be a part i, I actually don't want to live alone I, I need to and it takes it's a risk right to say you're going to come into community with each other and if you are if you are one of those people we have many people in our church who are in groups and are serving together don't give up this is a verse in hebrews one of the early churches right where the writer of hebrews says don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Right from the beginning, there was this threat to sort of break apart. Why? Because spirituality and community is difficult. I, I thought I was a great person until I got married and had kids, right? <laughs> then what? I'm in community, and now I realize, man, I'm kind of a sinner, <laughs> right? That's why private spiritual experiences are great, because no one's there to say, hey, you hurt me. But quiet, I'm meditating. Uh, you know, like... Right? In community, we find out who we really are and all the ways that God needs to expose our, our selfishness and our pride and our insecurity, and he wants to change us. And so community is hard, and you've got to fight for it. And to encounter the living God, it's, he, God's not a genie. We don't conjure him up. It's hard, this thing, spirituality and community. So don't give up. So you know what they call a building where stones are missing? It, worship team, you guys can come up. You know what they call a building where the stones are missing? Ruins, right? Ruins. 
remember going to Greece and in Athens, seeing the Acropolis, right? You know it's a ruins because there's pieces of something. And somebody says, there's something famous was here, but now it's broken down. It's in ruins because stones are missing. And the church in, oh, I'm going to stand up for this. The church in our city is in ruins. And I believe, I really believe this. I am so excited to be a pastor of a church in this day and this time in history because I actually believe God is rebuilding the ruins. Not the buildings, people. The people. You and I. He is in the, I know this because he's done this in my life. He grabbed hold of me and said, you're a living stone. You're not going to live alone. I'm going to bring you in community. I'm going to wreck your heart for this thing called the church where you're going to come to know, yeah, this is the hope of the world. This is where heaven touches down. And so I believe that if you're a part of this, God is reaching in your life saying, I am doing something new and I don't want you to miss out. So if you're a part of this and you've been struggling to kind of just continue to fight to group and serve, ask God to renew a vision in your heart for this holy temple. And if you're someone new or you've been here for a while, but you're still kind of sitting on the edges, don't. Don't let another week go by. Talk to one of us or fill out a card at the table. I believe God is doing something new in this city. And and I, for one, I don't want to miss out. Let's stand together and sing. I want to give you my benediction. I actually wrote it out ahead of time. I don't always do that, but uh, I want to read it for you. You ready? You say you're done with religion? Well, I second the motion. You see, this thing ain't about being good. It's about his devotion. From the Father above came the Son whom he loved. To bring us back home, we sons and daughters, yo. We're lost, now we're found. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Every time we gather together, all birds of different feathers, it doesn't matter your race, the square footage of your place, or whether Instagram loves your pretty face. See, the church is a house. It's not physical, but spiritual. It's God's presence with his people. It's not the pews or the crosses or the steeple. When we come together in the name of Jesus, God says every time, any place, he is with us. And let me tell you, in a world full of darkness, the church keeps the lights on because the light of the world says, church, you got to shine on. Each of us is a stone. The church put together is flesh and bone and every stone is essential for this temple to reach its potential. So we never stop meeting up. Empty hands, Jesus, fill our cup. Overwhelm us in this place. Use us to paint a picture of your unstoppable grace so the world around will see heaven touch down as you meet with us. Amen.